get to continue our series, uh, The Truth About Truth, uh, which is a series uh, that only happens when both of your pastors majored in philosophy. <laughs> our passage this morning comes from John 8, and as you're turning to John 8, just say everybody is welcome, and thank, welcome to those who are online. It is good to see you. It is good to be back. I was on vacation last weekend, so it is nice to be home and it is nice to be here. So we are going to read from John 8, uh, verses 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do wish to preach your word this morning, but I do confess that I am weak and I am needy and I need the Holy Spirit. And so I ask that the Spirit bless us this morning, that our hearts may be lifted heavenward, that we may be sanctified in your word, sanctified in the truth, that we may grow in our faith. And Father, if I preach anything false or untrue, I ask that it may fall upon deaf ears. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned before, uh, I... I majored in philosophy in college. Uh, my parents were not the most excited about that, but that's okay. I was having fun. And one of the first lessons uh, we go over is this uh, story written by Plato called Plato's Allegory of the Cave. And really in this lesson, and he is questioning what is reality. And the sum of it is this. People are chained in a cave, and they are have a fire behind them that they can't see. Uh, so it's philosophy, so you just have to imagine things that aren't going to happen. Uh, so there's a fire behind them casting shadows on the wall. And so all that they see during their lifetimes are these shadows on the wall. Um, and then finally, one guy's like, what happens if I turn around? Um, and he turns around and he sees, he's able to unbind his chains, he sees the fire, and he begins to leave the cave. And once outside of the cave, he begins to see all of creation around him. He sees the flowers of the fields. He sees the mountains and the clouds. And he feels the air on his face. And he is able to taste the salt of the sea. 
And so he finally figures out what is true. He finally sees what is reality. And uh, so he goes back and he tells all the other people who are chained up, hey, you need to leave this cave. I can free you from the chains. There's a greater reality out there. And they basically threaten him if they disturb their world, their reality, looking to shadows. Now, Plato is looking for truth and wisdom. He's looking for this knowledge of enlightenment because that is where he believes that humanity will be set free. When we look at Jesus, we're looking at a different truth, a more powerful truth. Yes, there is knowledge and wisdom. But it is, far, it is a knowledge and wisdom far greater than anything this world has to offer us. But when we abide in the truth of Jesus, when we abide in the gospel, when we abide in his word, we see that this saving truth, it frees us from our sin. Now, being freed of our sin is, is a difficult thing. Uh, we are going to deny the existence of the way sin shackles us, and the way sin chains us. We are going to resist because our sins can be comforting, and, but they do break us from the fellowship of the Savior. But ultimately, the truth... The gospel sets us free. And that's our main point this morning. It's very simple. The truth of Jesus sets us free. Jesus frees us from our sin. So a little context, because I know this conversation is a a bit strange. Matter of fact, this whole dialogue in John 8 uh, is a little weird in that it continually devolves in the people's reaction to Jesus. Because he begins this conversation with a crowd that includes Pharisee. And he, he starts with this very bold statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a bold claim. Jesus is saying, I am the one who can show you the way. You are in darkness. I am bringing the light that you may see. And this is how he begins this dialogue, as it were. And the Pharisees uh, point out something, and they're very right in pointing this out. Uh, See, the prophets and teachers in the Old Testament and even in the New, what their job is is to point people to the Lord. In fact, that's what I hope to do here this morning. I don't, I don't want you to think anything special of me, but I want you to see Christ, to see his glory. So Jesus is a teacher. He is a prophet. He is the one bringing the word. And so the expectation is he's going to point heavenward, but instead he is pointing to himself. He's saying, I, I am the light. I'm the one who gives life. If you follow me, you'll see your way free. And so the Pharisees call him out on this. 
They accuse him. They say, your, your testimony is self-evidential. All that to say is, the only proof you have that you are the light of the world is you saying that you are the light of the world. So it'd be akin to me saying, telling the youth that I could do a no-hand backflip. And then just like, you just got to believe it, and then I walk away. The youth would not let me get away with that. Um, and then they would understand that, no, I, I cannot do a no-handed backflip. I would, I would have to prove it, which is why I would never seriously claim that I could do a no-handed backflip. But this is what the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of. You are saying you are, you are the light, but your only, your only testimony is yourself. And Jesus responds, and it is a complicated response. It is long, and we're not going to dive too far. And he's like, the Father also claims this. And he ends with this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught saying, I am the light, I am the way, I am the truth. And you will see, upon my death, upon my resurrection, that it is the Father who sent me. You will see that my testimony is true. When I die, you will realize this. Now, naturally, there are many of the crowd like, eh, but then we get to this part, and there's actually many who believed him. So naturally, they want to know more. And it is this point in the conversation we get to our passage. Jesus really begins to talk about truth. So Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him. Notice no longer it is the Pharisees we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a simple crowd. If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. And you will know truth, and the truth will set you free. Now this is a beautiful passage. We all struggle what, with the, that, that deep question of what is true. And Jesus here lays out the answer as simple as can be. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. That's beautiful. It's right here. If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So drench yourselves in scriptures. You want to know Jesus? Read the scriptures. Read the Bible. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with faith or you're young in your faith or you don't know who Jesus is, start with the Gospel of John. I know the Bible is a long book. It is an intimidating book. I think there's over, oh man, I don't remember the number of chapters, but there are 66 books uh, in the Bible. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Uh, it can be confusing to start with. So I'm going to say this morning, uh, if you have never gone through the Bible, or if you want to know what Jesus is about, start with the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Because Jesus makes many statements like these, where he says, I am. And he explains who he is. And he explains how we get to know him. We dwell in scriptures. We abide in scriptures. We come to know the truth. 
Now, the truth, not necessarily some uh, platonic intellectual enlightenment, although there is a wonderful opening of our minds and knowledge of the greatness of who God is. But you get to see, but you get to revel in Jesus. You get to know who Jesus is. You get to be in Jesus and you get to learn and sit at the feet of Jesus and live by Jesus. Our Savior begins to settle into our souls. He becomes a part of our being. And we realize that our identity is no longer in us or anything of this world, but in Christ. And this is a call to all Christians. To know who Jesus is. To know who Jesus says he is. Like I said, John is filled with I am statements. Because they're asking, who are you? And so he says, I am. And he describes who he is and how he is the redeemer. How he is the light that shines in the darkness. And see, as you begin to understand Jesus... And as your knowledge and your faith begin to grow from abiding in his word, uh, you're going to see the salvation and freedom that he offers. Because we all have questions. We all have questions. See, this is embarrassing. When I was, uh, when I was in school, in high school, I had to take trigonometry. And then we had a quiz. And on this quiz, I scored a 39. The reason I scored a 39 is mainly because I did not know the material. And the reason I didn't know the material is because the night before, I studied the wrong chapter. Now, how I can mix up what chapter we had spent a week in is a completely story, different story altogether. But fortunately for me... I probably shouldn't relish in this. The entire class, with the exception of a couple, did terrible on this quiz. And I remember our teacher, she was so mad that she made everyone retake the test, including Megan and Melanie, who had pretty much aced it because they aced everything that they did. So that night, I studied the correct chapter, and I got a 93 on the test. I know, I got a, I got a big brain up here. Everyone has questions, but it often feels like we are studying the wrong material. We are seeking out answers elsewhere. We're looking for truth. We're looking for something that will satisfy our souls. And we will go anywhere but the word of God. We will go anywhere but Christ. When it comes to questions of the soul, when it comes to the matters of the heart, to our longings, our desires, our pains and our affliction, the truth that provides hope, the truth that provides comfort, the truth that provides salvation, that is found in God. That is found in Christ. 
That is the truth that will free you. And of course, the question is, free you from what? This is what the people wanted to know because Jesus says this and that's their immediate uh, answer. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and never, have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Now, this protest, this counter-argument, as it were, to Jesus it comes in two parts. First, they say we are the offspring from Abraham. They're appealing to the father of their nation. God, in the Old Testament, makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, your nation, you, your children will number the stars, and they will be my people. And God makes this promise, a covenant of redemption and salvation. And so this is, this is who they appeal to. Like, we are Abraham's children. We're, we're his children. We, we have the promises God made to him. What, are we, what do we need to be free from? They sit under that promise. It's, it's similar to the way we just sort of look at the Constitution and say, this is where we get our rights from. They're looking at Abraham and saying, this is where we get our promise from. This is where we get our salvation from. We sit under that promise. So we're okay. We're fine. Now this would be similar to someone saying, today, I'm saved because I go to church. I'm saved because every Sunday morning I wake up early when I could be sleeping in, and I go. And I sing and I listen to the sermon. I'm fine. Now, don't get me wrong. Going to church is good. Matter of fact, it is being, we are called to be a part of the church. We are called to participate both in the church local that is here. This is why we had so many people willing to help with VBS. And we thank you for that. But you know, church universal as well which is we participate and we love our brothers and sisters all over the world. It's why David prayed for missionaries across the globe. Church is good and proper for the Christian. But church is not what saves us. What saves us is Jesus. And this is what Christ is saying. I am the one who saves you. I am the truth that saves you. Now the second part, the second protest, we have never been enslaved to anyone. Now coming from Israelites, this is, this is pretty rich. If you're unfamiliar with Israel's history, at this point, Israel has not been a free nation for over 600 years. The first 70 of that 600, they were captured and brought into exile to Babylon. They didn't have any freedoms. They, didn't, they couldn't worship at the temple. We could go back further, and they were slaves in Egypt. But even after Babylon, they, they're under the rule of the Medes and the Persians, and then the Greeks. Now they're under Roman rule. 
And a matter of fact, the only reason they can worship where they are is because Rome allows it. And Rome's really only going to allow it for another 40 years before they destroy the temple. Because there's a rebellion against Rome because they are not free. They're only allowed to worship because of some guy across the sea is making the rules. Now, Jesus isn't talking about earthly freedom. That is not his main goal, but that is where they go. See, Christ is responding about the spiritual freedom. He answers this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's hard. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let's go back further than Abraham. Let's go to Adam. When we let's Adam is the last Adam and Eve are the last people to have true and honest freedom. Because when they lived in the garden, they lived in a state in which they had no sin. They had the option to sin, but they also could not sin. They had the blessing of fellowship with God. They would walk in the cool of the evening or in the spirit of the day. And then he, and then he sins. He falls. And as he is the father of humanity, he takes us with him. It's like this. When I, when I was young, I used to live over on Henrietta, which is just across the street from Millwood. And then around fourth, fifth grade, my family moved over to Gordonia and Sunway Knowles. Mom and Dad did not leave me behind. They brought me with them because they were my parents. They, I was a part of their household. See, Adam and Eve, they lived in this perfect house. They lived in this perfect estate in which they were sinless. But then they moved to a sinful place. And when they did, they brought all of their children and their offspring with them. And so we live in a state of sin and misery. We are shackled by our sin. We are chained by it. We can't free ourselves. Jesus is up front with this. He is blunt with this. He's using a hammer. If you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. D.A. Carson calls this a vicious slavery to moral failure, and to rebellion against the God who made us. It is our desire to focus on outward things. It is easy to distance ourselves from the evil because we say the evil is over there. And while we're not wrong in saying that evil is over there, we need to remember because of the fall, our hearts are truly bound to evil. 
We are caged by moral failure. We are enraptured with our rebellion against the Creator. We want to rage against Him. And without Christ and without His truth, we are lost in that darkness. We need His help. See, and Jesus makes clear in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son sets you free. The truth is now made clear. It is the Son that sets you free. It is Jesus who sets you free. He is the one who is able to provide redemption. He is the one to unshackle those chains. He is the one that allows us to come to the Lord. Because Christ remains with God forever, because Christ is God. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. That special fellowship that they enjoyed with the Father is gone. He moves us into this house of sin and misery, a house in which we cannot leave without Christ. But Jesus never leaves that house. Matter of fact, the only time he leaves the throne of heaven above is when he humiliates himself and he comes down to earth that we may be saved. He provides salvation for his people. He provides a hope. He provides a light that we may see the way to him. So we can see the darkness in our hearts and that we can leave it behind. Christ is the truth that sets us free from the bondage of our sin. And this is his claim. The truth will set you free. He's saying, I will set you free. That is the truth that we must know. That is the truth that we want to abide in. And so, Stuart must be rubbing off on me because I did action points again. We just have three little action points. First, abide in his word. This is how Christ starts this passage. And so this is what we must do. Abide in his word. Read his word. Dwell in his word. Meditate. When you have questions, come, come ask. And if I don't know, I will go and we will find out the solution together. Scripture is a marvelous mirror that's going to hold up and instead showing our beauty, it's going to show us our need for Jesus. It will show us the worst of ourselves. And that is going to be hard. But it also shows us the great glory of Jesus, the marvelous nature of our Savior. It shows us the greatness of his truth. There's, it is astoundingly beautiful. And it will show us our freedom in Christ. So not only abide in the word, his word, we also want to know the truth. We really, 
want to let it sink in. We want to read the Gospels. We want to learn who Jesus is. Learn who Jesus says he is. See how Paul changes when he actually meets Jesus. Because he knew the teachings of Jesus, but then he meets Jesus. And his heart is changed. Put your faith in Christ. Come to know the Savior. And finally, walk in the truth. Now, this, this can be difficult because it is, it is like any exploration. Sometimes you don't know what is ahead. Some people see the light of the gospel. They hear the message of Jesus, and their heart is so used to the chains of sin and that moral failure and the rebellion that they want to cling tightly to what was before. We are, we are always going to be passionate about something. That is just the way our heart works. It has a pedestal and it wants to put something on the pedestal, whether it's our hobbies or our work or people. It wants to put something on the pedestal. So let our hearts, let, a, let that pedestal be Christ. Let us adore the truth. Let us worship our Savior. And then we'll see that as we grow in our faith, as we walk, we will leave that sin behind. Later in this series, we are going to talk about being sanctified in the truth. We're going to have a whole sermon on walking in the truth. But for this morning, for now, I'm just going to encourage you to Read the Gospels, abide in him, know the Savior, and respond to what he has to say. Respond to who he is. Pursue Christ. He he has freed you to do so. To live a life by his spirit. Not, Not one chained to sin, but one that is led by the Spirit, that we are no longer bound by this darkness. And so this is the great truth. Jesus has set us free from sin. So let's worship and praise him for the freedom that he gives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess there are times in which I want to cling to my sin. And I confess those times are way more often than they should be. But I pray for myself and I pray for the people in the congregation this morning. I pray for those who are watching online. I pray, Father, that we may see the light of the gospel. That we may dwell in your truth. That we may respond to the Savior. For you have set us free. Lord, that is a great love. You have been faithful when we are faithless. So we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.